welcome back to our Weird History Minisode, where we seek to bring you tales of the strange and unusual throughout history. This week, we're talking about... What? What? What is it? I don't even know yet. It's called the Giraffe Diplomacy. Huh? A.K.A. the giraffe who walked across France. This one's a trip, literally. You ready for it? No, probably not, but (laughs) sure, let's move on. (laughs) So at the Museum of Natural History in Paris, there is a vellum collection of 100 volumes of leather-bound books that contain 7,000 drawings of plants, animals, and birds. Many of the drawings are actually of animals that once lived at the museum's Jardin de Plantes, which is the garden of plants and which is actually France's botanical gardens in Paris. It also contains the world's oldest municipal, I can't say that word, municipal zoo, city zoo, city (laughs) zoo. It's a city zoo. And in fact, one of the most celebrated inhabitants of this zoo was a giraffe, which was actually given to the king of France as a diplomatic gift in 1826. So in the 1820s, there was kind of a power vacuum. We're going to step out of France for a bit between Egypt and the Ottoman Empire. And the Ottomans were starting to lose power. Greece was going, trying to, it started a war in order to gain its independence. And an ambitious Turkish officer named Muhammad Ali named himself ruler of the Nile Valley. And his interests, political interests, did not actually compare with his rulers over in Constantinople and the Ottoman Empire. He was actually quite determined to bring Egypt into the modern era, which let him work with various foreign industrialists, developers, merchants, diplomats, and various other rulers. And he was completely not interested in ancient Egypt. And in fact, he called all their archaeological treasures ancient debris. I'm insulted. (laughs) He's, he's not a really good guy. He'll continue to be insulted. And he actually stripped Egypt of these treasures by selling them to collectors, dealers, and profiteers, which didn't profit Egypt in a sense because uh, people, again, we're going back to last week's, or our Victorian Mummies episode that we just aired, and Europeans and wealthy Americans on the Grand Tour going and desecrating and robbing tombs just like everyone else. Yep. Uh-huh. I really don't like it. Oh, I'm not done yet either. Oh, and- no. <laughs> so I said in the 1820s, countries that were previously under Ottoman rule were beginning to revolt and won their independence. One of these was Greece, which is actually con- conquered by the Ottomans in the 15th century. And Ali was actually called in by the Sultan of the the Ottoman Empire to help quell the revolt. And if he was able to quell that revolt, the king was going to reward Ali with the entire island of Crete to himself. Pretty good incentive. Sure. And at finding this out, French, English, and even Russian armies went to the aid of Greece to fight against the Ottoman Empire. So as a solution, Ali was given a suggestion by uh, Bernardino Drovetti, who was an influential European in Egypt. He was actually the consul general of France that was stationed in Egypt and was known to be incredibly wealthy from his side gigs of exporting and selling massive amounts of antiquities to European markets because Egyptomania was a thing. And everyone wanted anything antiquity that you can get your hands on. So as we said, Dravetti was the consul general in Egypt. 
And he actually was kind of buddy-buddy with the king of France, which was Charles X, and would often send the king animals from Africa, such as parrots, hyenas, and wildcats, to stock the king's personal menagerie. And with that knowledge, which was a very common thing to do at the time, Stravetti actually suggested to Ali in order to gain favor with the French king so that the French forces would lay off the Ottoman forces, that he should send an animal so strange and exotic that it would not fail to impress the king of France, which would be a giraffe. Not quite as crazy today as we think it was. And giraffes in Africa and the Middle East were actually known to be given as gifts. They had been used as, as diplomatic gifts for thousands of years, kind of like the great panda diplomacy between China and the U.S. And in fact, actually, a gift of giraffe was given to the Chinese emperor Zhu Di in the 15th century when a Chinese fleet actually visited Africa. The first giraffe in ancient Rome, uh, brought over actually by Caesar in 46 BC, but it wasn't for diplomatic or philanthropic reasons. It was Caesar, so it was more for egotistical reasons. And he marched his giraffe that he brought over and his triumph through the streets of Rome. And then later would import giraffes from Africa specifically for the Circus Maximus games with the intention of being mauled by lions as a spectator sport because it's Rome. And after that, once the Roman Empire more or less fell, giraffes were essentially kind of forgotten around Europe because they're not originally from there. And until about the 13th century, when one shows up in a Sicilian menagerie, and also in an English literature book called The Travels of Sir John Mandeville. And in 1487, a 16-foot-tall giraffe was imported from Cairo into Florence as a bargaining chip between negotiations between the Egyptian sultan and Lorenzo de' Medici, who also wanted to emulate Caesar's exploits and give his egos a big, a big boost too, because it's the Medici's. And in fact, this giraffe was such a sensation that one of this, the neighborhoods in Siena to this day is actually called Contrada de Girafa, so the street of giraffe. Mm -hmm. Or I'm sorry, Contrada, so I guess giraffe square. And Ali actually acted pretty quickly in trying to acquire his giraffe to give to the king of France, but it took several months to actually find it. So hunters would eventually go out and find a mother with two calves. They would just kill the mother and kidnap the baby giraffes, strapping them to a camel. That's a sight I'd like to see. A baby giraffe strapped onto a camel. That's like a goat on top of a cow. I, I just, I don't really know where to go with that one. So the, the, the two calves were shipped down uh, on the Nile and then matured and strengthened in Khartoum, where it then went on a two-year journey to Paris from Egypt. One of the calves went to England, but unfortunately got sick and died. And the second one went to France. And there is a drawing of this which is so wacky, we are going to have to put it up on Instagram. The giraffe, the baby giraffe that went to Marseille, it took four weeks by ship to go from Khartoum to Marseille. And the giraffe stood up in the ship the whole time, her head and neck sticking out through a hole cut in the deck because she was so tall. Like that's got to hurt to stand all the time. Uh-huh. And giraffes are, they're, they're sort of nimble like a goat in a sense. They're not like a big sturdy animal like an elephant but also imagine if they hit a storm and this giraffe's head is just I, i'm i'm presuming they probably did hit a storm at least once it took four weeks in october yeah mm -hmm. like this poor giraffe mm -hmm. she ended up having a, a decent life but yes at that for those four weeks very poor giraffe in october of 1826 
she finally stepped foot on Marseille and was actually the first giraffe on European soil, not just French, but European soil in over 300 years. So obviously it's not a site people remembered, but she spent the winter in Marseille and was quarantined there. But while she was in Marseille, they would take her out on walks, which of course was going to draw public attention because no one had ever seen a giraffe before. They're still pretty interesting creatures to this day. They're very unusual. I mean, outside of maybe a brontosaurus, I can't think of another animal that has a neck that long for any reason. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's just a natural wonder. Giraffes are pretty cute too. And in fact, as they were, <laughs> you'll get a laugh out of this, as she was being quarantined in Marseille, when she would go out on walks, sometimes, again, she's, she's sort of a baby. She's maybe a, a year or so old at this point, maybe two. And she would actually, they, they quote unquote, bound like a horse or gallop. And apparently giraffes can run up to about 60 miles per hour, much like a cheetah. <laughs> and wow. people would actually state that the Arab trainers who brought her over from, from Egypt would be dragged by the giraffe as she ended up at a full gallop. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Not a job I would want. Still pretty funny. Yeah, I thought that would be pretty funny. There's actually, I believe there should be a political drawing of that. I'll have to double check. But if there is, we would certainly have to post it. Okay. (laughs) And because she was actually able to withstand the winter months in Marseille and she had built up her endurance, her handlers actually thought that she would be able to actually make the 900 kilometer walk to Paris rather than risk a sea voyage that would make her have to go all the way around Spain to get to Paris. That's a journey. I mean, she already spent four weeks in the ship. I wouldn't want to put her back on one. I I have no words. I'm literally speechless. So (laughs) please continue this horrific tale. Oh, it gets better. I promise. So on May 20th, 1827, with an escort of police, the giraffe left Marseille, led by the head of the zoo at the Botanical Gardens, Etienne Geoffrey Saint-Hilaire. And the procession also included cows and antelope and two Corsican sheep, a small menagerie to accompany the giraffe, I guess. There's also a drawing of that. It's great. You'll be happy to know that, of course, it's going to rain at some point on this journey because it took a while, 41 days to be exact. And if it did rain, she actually had a special raincoat made for her that was black and embossed with the fleur-de-lis and the royal coat of arms. Yeah. I mean, she was she was a gift for the king, so she got special treatment. And in fact, people would come out on their fields and marvel at this creature they'd never seen before. And she was very gentle with people she's very liked by the i mean she just became so loved by the country but obviously again never no one had ever seen an animal the i mean the neck on giraffe massive and mature giraffe can get up to 16 feet tall that's more that's that's a story and a half on average yep. pretty long <laughs> and then the tongues are pretty long too so the tongues typically can get out around 20 inches so you're seeing this really strange semi-mythological like creature with probably a 12 foot and and uh, she's not even mature so she's about 12 feet tall she's got maybe a 20 inch long blue tongue you're going what is this thing what is this and then look at the colors she's got spots it's like a leopard but she's not a leopard what is this it's great by the time she reached Lyon, she was actually so famous that crowds of 300 or sorry 30,000 not 300 but 30,000 people turned out to see her in Lyon, which was about very small. 
Hmm? 300 sounds very small for the amount of, for how famous this draft was. Oh, I was going to say 300,000, but I was going to misquote that. I meant 30,000. Okay. Which was 300. Still, yeah. No, 30,000 people showed up just in Lyon. But that's also a good, like about a third or even maybe a quarter portion of the population at that time. So after 41 days and 900 kilometers, 22 towns and villages, she finally reached Paris where she was officially presented to the king. Whoa. And during the last three weeks of July, when she came into Paris, 60,000 people came to view her in just three weeks. Hmm. And as we said, she became incredibly beloved by the city of Paris and the nation itself. And remember when we were talking about Egyptomania? Yes. She started a fad known as Giraffomania. Oh, gosh. Mm -hmm. <laughs> she became the subject of songs and poems, cartoons, satires, musical hall sketches, political allegories, the namesake of various public squares like the one in Siena in Italy. Giraffe colors, patterns, and designs were featured in jewelry, wallpaper, crockery, knickknacks, soaps, food such as gingerbread giraffes and giraffe ice cream, furniture, and definitely, I mean, even topiaries. I, yeah, I don't know. What is giraffe ice cream? I couldn't find that one out. I don't know. I didn't even know they could make ice cream in the 1820s. And there you come unprepared to this recording. <laughs> I can only go as far as the internet will tell me. I don't have access to French newspapers. I'm sorry. <laughs> then we wouldn't know what they're saying. Not necessarily untrue. <laughs> My French is decent, but not probably not decent enough to read a newspaper from the 1820s. Exactly. As we said, she just started a mad craze of everything giraffe. It actually even became incredibly fashionable for high society women, of course, to wear their hair high a la giraffe with <laughs> yes and it was even rumored that some of these hairdos were so high i'm sure some of you interested in old fashions have probably have seen pictures of women from the 16 late 16s into the 1700s with their wigs piled so high like a marie antoinette kind of style with ships in it or fruit in it or home. so we're talking something like that and in fact, it was rumored that one of these ladies would style her hair so high that they had to ride on the floor of their carriages or else their hair would be smashed by the top of the carriages. And this technically wasn't the first time this had been done in terms of an animal affecting uh, native or national fashion. In 1749, it was rhinoceromania. And in 1786, it was zebra mania. I don't know if that was all in France but that wouldn't surprise me. But in the 1820s, it was different because you had the advent of industrial revolution. So instead of making things by hand, commercial goods could now be made by machines at a faster rate for more consumers. And so giraffomania became so big because now you could produce more things more quickly for more people. At she a lower also, cost. Right, at a lower cost, correct. She also made France the envy of Europe because no other nation in Europe, at least at that time, had a giraffe. But going back to the original portion of this, remember that she was supposed to be a gift to the king for a diplomatic gesture by Muhammad Ali in order to help gain French favor to quell the revolt in Greece for their independence. Mm -hmm. Would you like to take a guess on whether or not the king took that diplomatic favor? May say, yeah. No. Oh, what? No. She was incredibly popular with the nation, 
and that the king appreciated his gift of a giraffe, but it did not put the king of France towards the... Oh, the, towards it, helping to quality the Greeks? It did not put... French opinion of Ali did not put them in favor of helping him. And in fact, not too far after, or not too long, just a few weeks after this giraffe arrived in Paris, European powers went to Greece and they signed a treaty against Ali and the Turks. So a, a Greece actually won its independence in 1832. <laughs> it didn't work. And big fail. Big fail. Big, big fail for Ali, big win for France. <laughs> so you're probably thinking, or probably wondering why I'm just calling the giraffe a she instead of a name. To be honest, she never had a name. That's sad. And she never got an official name until, I believe, the 1980s, where they just called her Zarafa, which is Arabic for giraffe. So the giraffe was called giraffe. So imaginative we are. I believe that if anyone called her anything, it was mostly the king's beloved beast or something like that. Yeah. We're, we're great with the name giving here. Yeah. In addition to the giraffe not working as a diplomatic gesture, it also didn't do much to secure the reputation of Charles X either because he was not a popular king. And in fact, people who opposed the king actually used the giraffe as a political tool. And in fact, there was a medallion that was minted around the same time that said, nothing has changed in France. There is only one more beast. So anti-royalist. Yeah. Kind of sad. And for the giraffe. Well, just like a fad, like any fad, it's popular for a period of time, a very small period of time, and then it kind of goes away until it possibly comes back. And as we said, the giraffe arrived in 1826. So by 1830, she's had a pretty good reign as being a national icon. But by 1830, her population, her population, her popularity had faded to a point where one of the more famous writers at the time, Balzac, actually wrote a quote, retarded provincials, bored nannies, and naive fellows were the only ones to visit her. Oh, I really feel sad for this giraffe. I mean, she was treated well. She was in Paris Botanical Gardens. Um, she was well taken okay. care of, but... At least she was treated well. Okay. Yeah, okay. she. I mean, I mean, I can't imagine she wouldn't have been treated well. She was a gift to the king. But yeah, instead but of... Uprooted from her home, brought across the stormy dang seas... With her head just, out of a ship. Yeah, with her head out of a ship because she's too dang tall for the ship. I still feel bad for her. Mm-hmm. And then her 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 sibling was uh, sick. I, I don't know if she was sickly or she just got sick, but yeah, she was the one that was her, her. Remember, it was two calves, and her sibling was given as a gift to England. Uh, but the giraffe became sick and died, and her mother was killed by hunters. Yeah, no, 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 don't like it. Yeah, but I, I, yeah, you'll like the ending of this sort of fine so as we said 1826 giraffe hits france massively big in just under four years she is no longer very popular and not too many people actually come to see her but again as i said although she was a gift to the king she could have gone into his personal menagerie but instead she was taken to the botanical garden and became an icon of the nation so she was the people's giraffe and not the king's giraffe but unfortunately she died in 1845 and was then taxidermied and actually stood for decades in the foyer of the Natural History Museum. Okay. And then she was sort of obscure from then on, but she's not really as obscure anymore because her popularity 
popularity has resurfaced. She's had a bit of a, a revival. And the last several years, she's been the subject of books, children's books, scholarly articles, a major exhibition, even a fully animated film named Zarafa that came out in 2012, and a puppet play called Tall Horse that came out in 2004. She may not necessarily be at the foyer of the museum, but you can actually go still see her, her taxidermy body, at the Museum of Natural History at La Rochelle, where she is still the symbol of the museum and its star attraction. Poor giraffe, poor giraffe. Well, at least she had a better life than she may have been. I mean, at, at least she least, didn't have to be poached. That's where, exactly where I was going with that. That that I will agree with, but poor giraffe. Still feel bad and sad all at once. Well, that is my story of giraffe diplomacy and the giraffe who walked across France. And I believe I we have a poll coming up this Sunday. Mm-hmm. And if we I do. remember correctly, it's Ancient Inventions versus Nell Gwynn. Correct. And for anyone who doesn't know who Nell Gwynn is, she was one of the first female actors during the reign of Charles II when women were allowed to act and she became a national celebrity. And I believe one of the consorts of Charles II. Come on, Charles II. She was probably one of the she was one of many he was probably he, he was not exactly known for being a faithful nope he was definitely known for throwing lavish lavish parties my name is my name is charles the <laughs> second for anyone who doesn't know that was a reference to bbc's the Hor- horrible histories it's a song from there and that's an amazing show go watch it it's on amazon prime yeah absolutely we're not actually we're not in affiliation with them at all. We just absolutely love that show. Yes, we do. <laughs> I watch it every night. <laughs> not really. I used to though. Okay. Oh, just a party oh, note. Something. Uh, yes, our guest episode airing next week. Ah, uh, yes, our guest episode. We will have a three ep- uh, three topic, two episodes per topic guest episodes coming up so there will be six guest episodes coming up in total the first two are coming up on thursday and friday right two up one one a day yes yes next thursday and next friday that's what i thought okay and i believe if i remember our schedule correctly we'll have the first two-parter in april the second two-parter in may and this the third two-parter in june if i remember yes i'm pretty sure you are correct yeah so it, it'll be once a month. So there will be one month, one week where we do a poll topic where you guys vote on what you want to hear about. And then the other episode for the next three months will be the guest episodes. Episodes, sorry. Yes. There's more than one in this series. We will be posting so, a, yeah. a teaser trailer for that that I will have out soon. So you get an idea of what we'll be talking about, especially if you are major fans of Shakespearean theater. Giving it away. It'd be nice if they knew what the topic was. <laughs> no, it's a surprise. It's a surprise. Fine. I won't tell them. Too late. <laughs> and that'll do for this lovely Weird History mini-sode. And we hope to see you next week. Yep, yep, yep. See you next week for our, our our guest episode. We hope you enjoy. You know where to find us. And if you want to send us an email with thoughts and suggestions, we highly recommend and welcome that for sure. Please, please send us topics that you guys want to hear about. We'd love that. Mm-hmm. All righty. 
and we will see we will see y'all next time bye, bye.